Hi, this is Kate from ADHDKidsCanThrive.com. Thank you for listening. My special guest today is Dr. Lara Honos-Webb. She is a clinical psychologist and author specializing in ADD and ADHD. She teaches online courses, written seven books, and is co-founder of Bonding Health, a company created to help improve ADHD parent-child bonding through research-based exercises. Thank you, Laura, for being here. Let's get started. Hi, Laura. Thank you for being here. I'm looking forward to our conversation today, talking about ADHD, executive functioning, and emotional dis- dysregulation. Um, so let's get started um, by talking about um, what you're doing with Bonding Health and how that will support parents who are raising ADHD kids. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on, Kate. And Bonding Health is an app that should be out in about three months. And it's for parents of uh, children with ADHD. Of course, it's relevant to teens as well. You know, we tend to think it would be useful for any parent because this really boils down to executive functioning more broadly in addition to ADHD. But the main goals of the app is that we go symptom by symptom. So you can choose a symptom and then you'll get a series of guided questions. And some of those questions will actually include suggestions for how do you handle a certain behavior? So if your child is um, not getting started, you could say, you know, what would be the benefits of getting started? What are the costs of not getting started? How will you feel when you get this done? So there's some of the questions will have suggestions. So it's just helpful for parents, but some of them are reflective to help them find maybe a more positive interpretation, not only of a specific behavior or just a more um, positive reframe. And so that could look like, you know, sometimes when kids talk too much, it feels like it's, they're not following directions. It feels like it's rude, but a lot of kids that talk too much you know, are the kids that are really interested and engaged and have a lot of ideas they want to share. And, it's you know, as a parent of a teenager, you are and I am as well. Um, we just want our kids to talk to us. Right. <laughs> so, you know, back when they were little kids and they were just talking all the time and we're like, oh, you're talking too much. There's, you know, there's a time and a place, of course. And, and so it helps us to find that there's many gifts that go along with talking too much. And that can be you make friends easily. You have a high verbal ability. Um, you know, and, and so there's finding some of those positives instead of, you know, my whole approach is about, we don't want to define our children as deficit disorders. It's one thing to say they have a neurodevelopmental disorder, but we don't want to say that that's who they are as a person. And, you know, most of the ADHD symptoms show up in specific environments, particularly school. Um, and so we want to be able to recognize the whole child. And so that's really the emphasis of bonding health. And really, we also want to foster the parent-child bond. You know, when you think about, I mean, it's almost obvious that that is the foundation of mental health. And whatever mental health challenges a child does have, that bond is going to allow them to have self-confidence in the face of neurodiversity. Right. So it's very important. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so bonding help is going to help. I think when you're raising your neurodiverse child, though, you know, inside the culture of what academics is in this mm-hmm. day and age, 
That's where like the rubber hits the road, mm -hmm. so to speak. So bonding health will give parents like the language to use when your child isn't like what the, they're procrastinating or yeah, not yeah. seeming motivated to complete boring tasks. Yeah, exactly. And so, so part of that can be in some of the <clears throat> tools might be, you know, what will your future self think of this? And asking your child these questions, we have like some of the suggestions might be ask your child this. Um, and, you know, what goals do you have? And asking goals is probably one of the single most important things that parents can do, because what you're doing is you're reducing the control battle. Like my mom wants me to do this or my dad wants me to do this and I don't want to. But what you're turning it into is what they want for themselves. And so that motivation comes between what they want for themselves and, and where they want to go. Right. So it reduces that control battle. And also it helps you to regulate your mood because if a child's performing poorly and they, and, and they set a goal, I'm going to improve my grades next semester. I'm going to do my homework every night. I'm going to open up my backpack right when I get home. So, I mean, those, you know, any of those could be a goal. All of them could be a goal. It becomes between themselves and the goal that they set for themselves between who they are now and their future self. And so um, it can reduce conflict, but it also manages the mood because you're like the whole purpose of a goal is that I can have a different future. I can right. get better at what I'm doing. I can build these skills. Skill building is really the essence of bonding health. Yeah, that's great. I'm excited to see it. I can't wait. Okay. So Laura, tell us how, um, you talk a lot about um, building executive functioning skills. So mm -hmm. how are executive skills and functioning skills and ADHD um, related? Okay. So ADHD is the main symptoms are a lack of attention. And then of course, impulsivity and then hyperactivity. Now executive functioning is is number one is um, actually the ability to pay attention because you can imagine if you're not paying attention it's going to be hard to do you know everything else whether that's um, you know following through um, breaking things down um, and and so that that attention is going to be critical and that's a part of executive functioning and of course ADHD but emotional regulation is not technically a part of ADHD. Now, Dr. Russell Barkley has written about how emotional dysregulation is a key causal factor of most ADHD symptoms. So it is directly related to ADHD, but not in terms of the actual diagnosis. That makes oh, sense. Oh, interesting. Yes. <laughs> and Wait, then, is that because like the DSM-5 hasn't put the emotional dysregulation into it? That's right. Yeah. As a reason? And, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's not a um, it's it's not a diagnostic symptom of ADHD, but it is what we would you know his point and many clinicians' point is is that emotional dysregulation makes it hard to pay attention. It makes it hard to get started. It makes it hard to uh, follow through in a sequence of of events because you're emotionally disrupted. It, it disrupts your attention. It disrupts your um, planning and organization. I mean, you, even as adults, we can figure out, you know, um, if something happens, that's really upsetting, you know, we may not be able to 
finish our to-do list for the day. We may feel like we can't plan or we may feel like um, we can't even pay attention, frankly. Right. Okay. And then an ADHD person, I always feel like it's more like their central nervous system just operates a little bit differently than the, than a yes. typical person. So I think that's that like, it's that like, um, I've had it described to me like a hum, like a dull hum that you might feel right. Which makes mm-hmm. you feel restless, which makes it hard mm-hmm. then to focus and then do all these different tasks. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So how can a parent help a child kind of start to build these executive functioning skills that they do need to develop? Is it possible for a parent to help their ADHD child build skills? Yes, of course. And, you know, one of, I think one of the simplest ways to get into this is through helping your child build self-talk and, so as parents, it's so tempting to say, you know, how many times do I have to tell you, you know, I tell you to do this, I tell you to do that. Now the shift is tell yourself that when you get home, you need to unpack your backpack right away. Um, tell yourself that you can use your smartphone after <laughs> you finish your, you know, 25 minutes of homework that we've agreed on as a, a good starting point. Right. Um, And so, and you can even suggest self-talk for them that, um, you know, the harder I try, the better I do. Now that's of course the growth mindset, but it's one thing, you know, to, to encourage that. It's another thing to give them the self-talk so that they are constantly telling themselves, um, you know, if I try harder, I'll do better rather than I'm not good enough. Right. And so how the parent talks to the kid has a huge impact. Absolutely. Right. And I would imagine this would be for any child who's struggling with anxiety or depression as well, right? It's just the language that's used by the teacher and the parent. Exactly. Especially to keep going and building those skills. So -hmm. that's how the parent's the active participant. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I brought up the teacher piece, which is the academic piece, which can be the most challenging So how do you recommend a parent team up with the teacher to help build these skills that the child needs to be, to be building, whether it's like they have missing assignments, let's say, Mm -hmm. Uh, how would a parent like work with the teacher to help build the skill of turning in your homework on time or within a certain window of time? Yeah. So of course the first, the first step is going to be communication with the teacher. And I think that um, it can be that, you know, hopefully getting some kind of reasonable accommodations, like if they hand it in, you know, at this, by this time, um, that this will, you know, that there's kind of like rewards for them to do that. And I think, you know, also getting feedback from the teacher, what are they seeing in the classroom? Um, are they attentive, you know, sometimes kids are not handing in homework, but they're actually sort of paying attention in the class and trying to get kind of a, as much of the positives and the negatives as possible, because you can use those positive at home to say, well, your teacher said, you know, you are actually attentive in class, but you're just forgetting to hand in your homework. 
And so let's come up with a strategy for you to remind you to do your homework, remind you of the dates. And so that can become where the planning and organization element comes in. Right. And so, you know, because I mean, kids are taking a lot of classes and there's a lot of due dates. So, you know, also that can be helping them to set those goals because then it doesn't become how many times do I have to tell you, you know, you got a hand in your homework and it can turn into what kind of goals do you have for yourself in this class? Well, you know, my goal is to get a B or, you know, for some people it's out, you know, an A or, you know, to pass for some people, depending on the class, some classes are really hard. Right. And so figuring out what their goal is and saying, you know, if you want to get your goal, this is what needs to happen. And then as a parent, again, depending on what age your child is, the younger, you know, the more this, you know, you'll be doing this. And as they get older, you know, hopefully less, but, you know, sometimes you're just trying to get them through. Right. <laughs> you're just doing whatever you have to do. But um, so at that point, it can be, you know, getting out, you know, almost like a control room where you're like, this is due here, this is due then. Um, don't forget to go to your teacher's office hours. Don't forget to, and parents, you know, you can always reach out and email teachers and let them know what's going on. Let them know that they're, you know, they care a lot and this is what's happening. Um, and I think that they can respond to that level of involvement from a parent and sympathy and compassion for um, particularly the neurodiversity aspect. Yeah. Okay. And so I think you're touching on something too with parents. They're never sure. So if their child, like how involved they should be with the child, right? So mm -hmm. if the child says, um, you know, I'm going to do well in the seventh grade, let's say, you know, and this is my goal and I want to do well in these classes, but they need a little bit more support, mm -hmm. you know, at home to help them reach their goals. And I think parents struggle with like, how involved should they be? And is it okay to be with the involved with their child to help them reach their goals when they have ADHD? Um, I think with, with, with ADHD, yes. And without ADHD, yes. And meaning that it, it's really responsive in terms of um, what the kids' goals for are them are for themselves, what the parents' goals are for themselves and for their children. And um, and so yeah, I think it's absolutely appropriate for parents to be involved. And certainly, you know, as they get older, they push you away. And so fine, it can be sometimes you have to find a way to be involved. Right. Um, and so it's it's different at different developmental levels. Um, I think, you know, for many parents, they honestly don't have the bandwidth to do very much for their children. And, and they shouldn't feel guilty about that because, you know, the schools also have resources and, you know, they can, you know, find support. And to be honest with you, sometimes if it's really school specific, finding a tutor might be better than finding a therapist sometimes. And so it can be really about finding the right resources and optimizing the resources that schools offer. So, I mean, sometimes we as parents don't even realize that there are many, you know, staff people assigned to help them out. It could be, um, you know, different roles in the school, depending on whether it's elementary, middle or high school, there's right. of course different levels, but um, so so I always want to say to parents, don't feel guilty, <laughs> whichever side of this you're on, just don't feel guilty. We have enough things to feel guilty about. So yeah, I think you can just check off. I'm going to, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and give you five reasons you should feel guilty. <laughs> oh yeah. Thank you. Laura. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> so, um, but really, you know, but it is a dance, I think. And I yeah. think, um, 
some parents feel like they shouldn't do anything Mm -hmm. kind of the sink or swim. It seems to be like extreme thinking sometimes sink, you know, if they can't do it, then so be it. Right. Or, um, they'll figure it out through a lot of failure. So it's that balance of like, do you let your child fail as they're growing up and building these skills? Or do you find a balance as a parent by accessing resources in the school, doing the IEP to give them the services that they need? It's Mm -hmm. like this balancing act of, of how much support that do they actually need to help them get through school in a successful Mm -hmm. way, passing, graduating, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so again, with ADHD and neurodiversity, it is a, you know, something that is, you know, should be accommodated and then, and that, that help that can be very helpful to address that different type of a brain. So that's really reasonable. And I think, you know, asking, you know, having those conversations with your children, you know, how much do, you know, how much, um, you know, how ambitious are they? What do they want for themselves? Um, And you also wanting to build their confidence. And I think as parents, you certainly, you know, want to um, provide resources and supports. Um, But also, you know, I think, you know, giving them the, with a lot of it being giving them the independence to, you know, I have this image of, you know, when a butterfly is a caterpillar and it's kind of pushing itself out of the chrysalis, that's how it builds its wings. And so meaning that as pushing out of the chrysalis, they, they, that's how they fill out their wings. And, uh, you know, there's a story might be, you know, more of like a old tale or something, but if you cut the chrysalis, then the butterfly won't develop its wings and it won't fly. So there is a lot to say about having them to push themselves out of the, you know, struggles that they get themselves into. Um, So, and I, you know, there's, it's really going to be responsive to the family, to the school system, the school situation, the developmental level. Um, You certainly don't want them to miss some like critical milestones um, and get as, as, you know, the support that you can, you know, as a family offer in terms of time and energy and money. Right. Right. Okay. So Laura, you're also um, an expert when it comes to helping parents understand that dance of ADHD kids using the screen, screen time. Mm -hmm. Why is it hard for ADHD kids to manage screen time? Well, let's just say, first of all, you know, if you kind of follow some of the headlines that social media particularly is designed to be addictive. And um, the other part of it is that social media, if that's, you know, where they're spending some of their screen time also can be very emotionally dysregulating. And so, you know, for girls, they can see you know, body image issues, um, they can be bullying online, um, they can be, you know, even just multitasking. So this, there's research that shows that just having your phone in the room with you, um, even if you're not using it, diminishes our attention. That somehow, like, if, if it was in a different room, that just the fact that it's there, somehow your part of your brain is monitoring it. And even if you're not opening it up and doing anything with it. So now imagine, you know, kids and teens, 
that they're constantly pulled back and forth between what they're doing and what's happening in social media, again, depending on the child's age or teen's age. And so it really, really diminishes attention. And then, so then when we talk about ADHD and we're talking about impulsiveness, the impulse to pick up your phone is going to be harder to resist. And so this being such a powerful distractor, distraction, that the impulsiveness is going to make it um, more sticky. Yeah. Okay. And it's interesting too, that you said that social media contributes to your um, emotional dysregulation as well. So if you're already dysregulated, being on the phone isn't necessarily going to contribute to your health, right? In a positive way. We don't know. I mean, I think we do know that there can be things like bullying. We do know that, you know, body image issues have um, for particularly for girls um, is very disruptive and, you know, fake filters are all over the place and they look at themselves in the mirror and they look at what other people are doing. And then, you know, also what happens on social media is you'll see your friends and they're out doing something and you're not there. Right. Why am I not there? Or you'll see people who are doing things that are cooler than you're doing. (laughs) And so it increases that feeling of being left out. Now, I don't want to, you know, say it's all bad. There are many positive things that happen through social media, including people find supports for mental health, people find positive spaces, people find self-help spaces. So it's really, you know, for a parent to be aware that there are positive impacts and there's negative impacts. And um, being able to set some boundaries, communicate openly about what things they might find on social media that could be very upsetting. Um, You know, and just, you know, on a very basic level, of course, smartphones, you know, emit blue light, which disrupts our sleep. And sleep is the foundation of mental health. So really just from, you know, when we're talking about smartphones, we really need to just talk about when are they using it? If they're using it before bedtime, if they're using it throughout the night, you're disrupting sleep, which is, you know, fundamental to mental health. Yeah, I know. And in my personal experience of raising two kids too, like YouTube, like it never ends, right? It never has an ending. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's really hard with time management. If you struggle with um, time management, because the videos just keep going and going and going. And so it's right. really hard to like transition off of that and do something else that might not be as stimulating. Right. And so when you think about ADHD, so much of it is about um, distractions. But when, you know, when you talk about YouTube, watch this next, watch this next, right. or watch this. If you like that, you know, there's, here's 10 other videos that are just like what you watched. And so it is there just like here giving you a platter full of distractions on almost all social media. Yeah. Okay. And here's another one that parents are, um, always feel like their kids can focus really well on the phone, the iPad, whatever it is, right? Gaming, that the focus is just so good when it comes to screen time. But then, of course, when the child's like in an academic setting or something that they're not that interested in, you know, they have a hard time focusing. And so parents will feel like, well, they're able to demonstrate focus and attention with screens. Why why doesn't that translate to the real world? Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think that does have to do with stimulation seeking. You know, when we think about impulsiveness, um, it really is about stimulation seeking. And so, for example, there's one theory, um, genet genetic theory of ADHD. And I also want to qualify that by saying there's like no, you know, hard research that one gene, you know, causes ADHD, but they find associations between different genes. And one is called the nomadic gene. And so the nomadic gene means, you know, you evolve to, you know, you see the horizon and you want to run for it, you know, so that's basically stimulation seeking that you, you don't want to stay in the safe place. You want to go to the adventure and see the unknown. And of course, that is a great thing. It maps on to discovery, innovation, creativity. But if you have that stimulation seeking nomadic gene, than sitting in a classroom and memorizing. Because, you know, sometimes kids can be really interested and be like, oh, that's really cool. I learned this cool stuff, but they don't want to sit down and memorize it. Right. Like and so yes. it's, it is the memorization <laughs> that can be the hard part because at that point, there's nothing new about it, but you have to memorize it because you have to get the, it right on the test. And so that's really where the gap is that they may be. And then there may be subjects that they just personally are not interested in at all. So it is that element of memorization and getting the right answer. And that can be, um, you know, very, that's that sort of really falls right into the impulsivity and difficulty paying attention, which are the symptoms of ADHD. Yeah. Okay. And that's the hard part. Mm -hmm. And that's what can make school hard, right? Or boring. Not, mm -hmm. It's not very stimulating. Okay. Very insightful. Yeah. So I think, you know, the first thing that I would think about would be, um, again, I want to come back to starting with what are their strengths and what are their interests? And then from that part, beginning to say, well, what kind of goals do you want for yourself this summer? And so, and it could be sports they want to play. It could be places they want to go, it could be, and, and really, so you're combining, you know, what are the things that they are feel confident about in their life? What do they think of as their strengths? And what kind of goals do they have? They may want to take a, you know, tennis camp, or they may want to help. Um, maybe they want to, you know, start some sort of neighborhood job and, you know, whether it be not a lemonade stand or, um, you know, find something creative to do or make money in creative ways for the older children teens. And so having them brainstorm a bunch of ideas of things that they want that are going to be related to developing some of their skills and talents that are going to be related to their own goals. And, and that can be a structure for some activities. I think the other element that I would think a, a lot about is, you know, even in terms of, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about screen time, it could be finding, you know, do they want to be a creator? Do they want to create videos? I'm not saying they should be an influencer, but it could be, um, you know, just, is there any kind of, and any things that they want to create rather than just being always, you know, a passive yeah. consumer. And, and that could be a business. It could be a business idea. It could be, um, you know, some kids, I think these are usually teenagers, you know, go fund me's or getting your parents to help you with a business idea. Um, and then even when we're talking about screen time, there are healthy screen time things that are out there. You know, for younger kids, of course, um, you know, there's always, um, well, I mean, any, anyone can do Khan Academy and there may be fun things on Khan Academy too. 
for um, interesting things. I think there's also, you know, for younger kids, um, you know, PBS kids, or I know that I had How Stuff Works was, uh, I think it was a magazine, but it's also. Oh, yeah. I think a it's website. a podcast too. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that that, you know, uh, one of my kids love that. Um, Space Race um, is another website where for, there's a lot of interest in going to space. So finding some of the online stuff, which is fun and educational. And um, so you're not, you're kind of, what do you call it? Optimizing some screen time. Yeah. Okay. So here's my question. I mean, do you think for ADHD kids, you have to limit the screen time? Absolutely. Oh, you have to limit the screen time for all kids (laughs) and, and yes, ADHD kids. So that's why I'm also suggesting, you know, do they have a business idea? Do they have activities they want to do? What are their gifts that they want to develop? Um, what are um, interests that they want to have? Do they want to help out in the neighborhood? So yeah, um, and of course, as you're noticing, that's hard even during the school year. It's really hard during the summer. Um, but you know, another thing that parents can do is, you know, what are the benefits of your time on on you know social media screen time? What are the costs of it? Uh, one strategy that I like, I call crowding out which in this, this can be a full-time job for parents. So again, like give yourself, I know no guilt, no guilt, (laughs) no guilt here. No, but crowding out could be, maybe even it's just keeping a list of like a dozen suggestions. Oh, go to the basketball court, go to the pool, go to the, um, you know, maybe parents arrange play dates for younger kids. Um, you know, here's, you know, we'll go to the library. A lot of libraries will have, um, even if your kids are not going to be the ones loving to pull books off, they'll have reading hours, they'll have snack time, they'll have, there'll be other kids there, you know, usually libraries are pretty good during the summer of just having free activities for any parent. Yes. yes. So, um, so keep them so busy. Well, keep them busy mm-hmm. enough that the phone isn't what's kind of dominating their time during the summer. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Crowding out is probably a good way. Crowding to Okay. That's good. <laughs> Mate with the list of 12 things, like here's all the other things you need to do before you get the the screen time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good advice. Crowding out. We're gonna crowd out. <laughs> your crowd day. out screen time. Yeah. And that okay. helps eliminate the control battle. Like, don't get on your phone. You can't tell me what to do, you know. So <laughs> so yeah. by crowding it out, it really reduces that the conflict between parent and child, which is you know, coming back to the app bonding up bonding health is really about creating that strong child parent bond and positive expectations and, you know, emotional regulation for both parent and child. Right. And just building it. I love what you've said. It's just like little things that you can incorporate like into your daily life to kind of make it more of a positive conversation, empowering Mm -hmm. um, versus, get your homework done or why haven't you done this and Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah can go on and on and on. So this kind of helps break the cycle, which is very positive. Okay. Mm -hmm. Laura, as we wrap it up, do you have any other words of wisdom or anything we can look forward to from you in the future? Well, I mean, one thing, as you were just saying that is I think sometimes one of the most helpful things that you can say is um, what are the benefits of you getting your homework done and what are the costs of you not getting it done? And even some of the suggestions that how good are you going to feel when it's over with? 
And, you know, what does your future self want you to do? Instead of I'm your mom and I want you to do this. Um, what does your future self want you to do? How will you feel a week from now? So this is these are just some more little um, brain hacks for giving them questions rather than telling them what to do. Right. Yeah, I think it's great. And then as they mature, right, then they have the self-talk in their head. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. As they become young adults and Mm -hmm. fly like a butterfly into the world. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's all good. It's very positive. All right. Thank you, Laura, for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you, Kate. I loved it. It was fun.